and welcome to the Digital Works Oral History Podcasts. This series is called The Weekend Millionaires, an oral history of the Thames Lightman. London Primary School children interviewed 24 Thames Lightman to explore their working lives on the river. I can honestly say that you'll probably hear the same from other Lightman. I never had a morning where I woke up where I got up and thought, oh, another day at the office, you know. Used to love it, couldn't wait to get there. Thinking about it, I'd have done it for nothing, really, because I enjoyed it so much. It was a community within a community. Everybody knew of one another. You went to mills together, you worked together. It's drilled into you how, how important you are on the river and how important the river is. And to the guys on the River Thames, they are better than Wayne Rooney is at football. You know, they are complete masters of, of what they do and they think that is the best job in the world. There's not, there's not a better job in the world for them. In this final episode, we explore the working conditions of the lightsmen, the role of the union and the gradual decline of work on the river. They used to call us uh, the weekend millionaires because we earned a lot of money during the week, but never got home. At the weekend, we had a pocket full of money to spend. We could earn, we could earn money, you know, and um, from the age of 16, I, I bought a motorbike, a motorbike, and uh, most of my brothers and friends all had, uh, so we had quite a good time here. You know, it was, you had money. We used to sort of go to the little local dance halls. You done long hours when you was working and you earned well for it. Um, not, you didn't have a chance to spend your money in the week and it was the weekends that your money was spent socially. Uh, dance halls were very popular, particularly for young men, because why? Because the there were young women in there, that's the answer to that one. The lightman was just one step above the dockers. Um, you see, the lightman had to serve an apprenticeship, so they more or less considered themselves just as a bit more above the dockers that were just taken on casually. They could, particularly in the 50s and 60s, earn quite good money, particularly after they'd passed their seven-year apprenticeship. Um, I know that girls in Bermondsey would say that they would go to Leiterman's dances because they would hope to, if they could pull a Leiterman, um, they were good earners, they were a good, what was called a good catch. How did I spend my wages? Not very sensibly at the time. Mainly, uh, most young lightmen were very fashion conscious. So I used to save up, and when I had enough money, I used to buy a, a new suit. Well, it was mods and rocker days. I used to like clothes, and I, 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 tried, to, I tried to be a mod. But um, I spent money, a lot of money on clothes, and I had a scooter when scooters was popular the first time, with my little berry and my fur. I earned so much money in the end, working weekends, that I was able to spend money in, in, in going to the theatre, in a proper theatre box, at a, a theatre called the Garrison Theatre. And so I saw lots and lots of plays, and it helped me to uh, get immersed in plays, particularly Shakespeare plays. So I was uh, known as Shakespeare when I worked afloat. So I had to carry that burden around with me. I had various nicknames <coughs> when I was very young. When I first started, I was called Smiley because I was always smiling, I suppose. Well, I did have a nickname. I've had lots of nicknames for all the things I've done. The nickname when I first came on a float was Jack. 
that was obvious. Um, because my dad's name was called, he was called Jack. As I got on into other things, I mean, it became Union Jack because I was in the Union uh, and became a shop steward and a Union officer. Because uh, I was quite often missing from work because of that work, I was then called Lord Lucan because he disappeared, didn't they? They never found him. But they got shortened to the Lord. <laughs> Most of us helped each other out and uh, we looked after each other. The relationship with the governors was different because we went to work to make, to make money and the governors, they wanted to make money so there was always some sort of friction going on in most firms. Some firms treated you, you know, pretty good and some firms were a bit hard. Firms were hard, uh, yeah, fight for your money. There's a long, proud tradition of trade union recognition and strikes and, you know, industrial unrest. And of course, what that meant was that the good terms and conditions and rates of pay that all of those people enjoyed were hard fought for by their dads and their granddads, and their brothers and their uncles. It was a, what do you call a closed shop. We wouldn't allow people to come on our river. We call it our river. and. Uh, even the Medway, they didn't, one river didn't, they called it the other river, that one. <laughs> but the Thames was our river. It's probably not now. It's probably more, more open to everybody, really. Perhaps it's a good thing, I don't know, it probably is. We belong to a particular trade union called the Waterman, Lightman, Tugman and Bargemans Union. And uh, we were basically proud to be a member of that trade union. And there was a, just like a, just like a troop of soldiers we were together as a single body. We had a small union and it was run by the men and it, it, it fought to get better conditions and, and wages for the men and you felt a loyalty to, to the union. I mean, when, when we went on strike, it was 100%. But most of our disputes were linked up with ports, where there was a national port strike uh, or there was a national uh, strike in London and we was caught up in that. Because our employers made sure that we went out on strike because they're not going to pay you sitting around doing nothing. I never liked them because I had four children for a staff, which you had to, you had to look after because if you had no money coming in, you, you'd had it. You didn't get like you do today, bits of help here and bits of help there. You never got them days, you never got nothing like that. We, there was times we didn't do bad, you know, mostly through overtime and um, working long hours, really. But um, the, the basic money wasn't very good. Basic pay wasn't all that clever. As lighterman, you could start at six o'clock in the morning and you could be working till all night, at seven, eight o'clock at night, most nights, sometimes right the way through to six the next morning. My dad said he got the sack once, he worked seven days and seven nights and he refused to do the eighth one. He said uh, he had to put matchsticks in his eyes to keep them open. He refused to do the eighth day so they sacked him. When, you, when you're a lighterman you do your wage bill and you had to keep a diary. Otherwise when you, you'd forget where you was working last Monday because you'd do 
one job Monday up the River Lee, Tuesday you might be around Gra uh, Gravesend, Wednesday you might be up pulling down, towing down from Brentford. You had to write it in a diary and your time of start and your time of finish. Everyone, if you were out of work, you went on what they called the pool. Now the pool is like um, a distribution centre of labour. And uh, used to go there and used to say, oh, go to Union Library or Whitehair or Brathwaite and Dean or, or Darling, different companies, if they wanted labour. Uh, my dad's company, Humphrey and Gray, used to deal with these huge ships, are called CB ships, big floating containers, that when they came in from America, he did lots and lots of overtime. So when he did lots and lots of overtime, he was lots of earning good money. When it was quiet and he was on basic money, not doing so well. And that used to affect birthdays. Uh, now my birthday's on February the 11th. My older brother's was on March the 5th. And I can remember one year, it was coming up to my birthday, and I had my eyes on different things that my mum and dad might buy me. But it all depended when the boat comes in. That's an old kind of song they used to sing in the north of England, but it did affect us at that time. If the boat came in, I got what I wanted for my birthday. If it didn't come in, I wasn't going to get it. And this time, this big CB ship, it missed my birthday. My birthday passed and it still hadn't come in. It came in about two weeks or so, or two or three weeks after my birthday, just in time for my older brother. And what did he get for a birthday? A brand new Seiko Quartz digital watch. And I was as green of envy as you could possibly be. And I never forget it. Um, but it, looking back, it shows you how those picks and how difficult it must have been for my mum and dad when one week they had good money and then it went down to bad wages. My dad spent periods of time out of work um, and periods of time in work where it was patchy. And we, it's, it's weird, isn't it? But we were poor, really, when, when I look back and when I think about it. Um, you know, mum stretching out the food for the dinners and we lived hand to mouth, I suppose. Everybody that I grew up with and went to school with, you know, in the 80s, um, it was a difficult time for unemployment. Well, we listen to stories of your days in Greenland Dock, barges full of rough goods when you've been on a job and knock. Pockets full of money earned for sitting on a barge And how you are a race apart from people by a large Of vibes you spent in cafes, pubs, of woodbines, tea and toast Of turned up jeans and hobnailed boots from guide on the winning post Of all the barmaids that you pulled, if only in a dream Of nights spent on the mucking when the tubs rolling out of steam the ballad of the landslide land. The ballad of the landslide land. But like Aerosmith's and Wheelwrights, yours is a dying train. And each day grow more bitter as your numbers slowly fade. Of London's dying, though she's been a grand old girl. The Father Thames no longer holds the shipping of the world. They're filling in your docks, knocking down your wharves and pubs. They're selling all your barges and they're scrapping all your tubs. In luxury apartments that command a river view. 
as I sip their dry martinis, do they ever think of you? Watch their stocks and shares Still you'll have the last laugh As a hellbound for their sin It'll be so full of lighter men The buggers won't get in The ballad of the last lighter man The the late 50s, the first damage that was done to the low outreach industry was the Clean Air Act, strangely enough, uh, because there were three companies that solely carried coal uh, to power stations and gas works. And so when the Clean Air Act came, coal started to be uh, done away with. Uh, and so those three companies finished up packing up. That was the first big blow. The docks have declined because the method of carrying cargo has totally altered. Everything now is put in a great big box that you call a container, and uh, that's transshipped around the world. The ships are much bigger, so they can only go into where there's very deep water. Containerisation affected ever, every inner city port in the world. The container ship couldn't come to what you, the Royal docks. You couldn't get them in there, they were too small. Uh, and a container terminal needs a vast amount of land area because the, the principle of containerisation is you load the ship while you're discharging the ship, which you can't do with brake bolt cargo. As the river was declining and there was less and less of the glorious tows through countryside, uh, yeah, it was, it was very sad, but it was also very noticeable. There were very few cargoes that couldn't be containerised. Then few cargoes were not enough to, to keep a, a river working. So the bulk cargo was loaded by hand in bags and it's gone into containers and they was packed in, in depots around the countryside, not necessarily in the dock. So the dockers were losing that sort of work. And uh, gradually the upriver docks here all closed down. It all moved down. The only one which is still running now is Tilbury Dock. When the port was starting to run down. They didn't need as many men, they didn't need as many dockers and stevedores and tally clerks and they didn't need as many lightermen. They then decided to introduce a scheme which was an inducement for people to seriously consider taking severance, i.e. giving up their work on the river for a payment. A lot of lightermen be became publicans and took pubs in the uh in the 70s, 60s and 70s, 
uh, and went ashore. My father didn't, but uh, my father just retired from the lighthood industry, really. Property that the wharves were on became very valuable. So the property developers then was buying the wharves up just as, as many as they could and obviously being developed. My dad's company was taken over by the Kuwaiti Investment Group and even though his company was profit making, they had no interest in the lightsmen uh, at all. They were interested in the property profile. So they made all of the men redundant so they could get their hands on all the important wolves so they could turn them into bars and restaurants. As I come out of Lightridge, our firm went uh, packed up in the 80s. I was allocated as a docker for a year or two because I was attached to the National Dock Labour Board. And my dad, who'd been so proud to work on the river, who'd done an apprenticeship for seven years and loved what he did, ended up as a docker in his 50s. A really tough physical job, um, driving forklift trucks. And you could see it was a really, and his wages went through the floor. Now I'm working, um, I've, I've been on the Woolwich Ferry for 12 years now. It's a good job, the Woolwich Ferry. It's just, it's, it's basically a floating car park. It goes from North Woolwich to South Woolwich to North Woolwich to South Woolwich to North Woolwich to South Woolwich. It's like that all the time. No one wanted to join the Woolwich Ferry. Everyone was going lighter and going up and down the Thames and, and the Woolwich Ferry was saying that old, old, old sea captains, old people have been out of sea come and done. You know, no one off the river wanted to work on the Woolwich Ferry, but that just shows you the change in the River Thames that the Woolwich Ferry is one of the best jobs now. It's crazy, isn't it? I could have apprenticed Peter here because um, of the father to something and his brother two brothers, but perhaps wisely they didn't want to be apprenticed on the river, you know. Perhaps they see that the, the work wasn't there as it, as it, it isn't there now, you know. My son, who was about 11 at the time, was ever so sad because he, he, he had ambitions to become a lightman, but the, the fall off of work was so much that it was obviously he wasn't going to be able to get a, a, a decent job or, or, or a profession out of it. It's mainly involved in uh, pleasure boats now. There's, there's the um, refuse, the London rubbish, all goes by river, doesn't it? There's some big tugs doing that every day. Rubbish, that, that part of the industry, it, it can't be done any better than that way. Because you imagine all the lorries that would be on the road when you have a, say, 200-tonne um, barge. It takes a lot of lorries to carry that, because you've got a big open highway down the River Thames. Now it's all houses, penthouses and flats and if they wanted to start the river up again there's nowhere to put anything ashore because it's all houses, very expensive houses. Speaking to people that still work on the river, if their barge makes a noise of a night, the people in the flats want it gone. We, they, what people want to do is look out of their window and see a nice river flowing. They don't want the noise that that industry would bring. I missed the river. It was the last thing in the world I wanted to do to leave it, but you couldn't afford to stop there. In fact, I went down to the West India dock the other week with a friend. I wanted to recognise the place. All the places I knew, gone. All the people that I know, gone. It all come from the river and I've just met all these amazing guys that have just done so much. I'd, I'd, I'd come from a, a, a little Pratt school kid sort of thing 
mischievous, not, not a nasty kid, but a bit mischievous, always having a laugh to um, suddenly with these guys and yeah, and just, just a wealth of experience and funny and genuine and honest and, and they cared about you. You really get that sense of you belong. I'm really, really proud of what my dad did and what he did and I'm aware now it's really part of our family's history. So I'm really proud that I am related to a waterman and a lighterman. I feel privileged and proud to have done what I've done and been part of the story of Waterman and Lightman's company. I've had an amazing, unique and special life. I wouldn't change one cold morning of any of it. Best thing I ever done. I wouldn't change it. If I had my life all over again, I'd do exactly the same. Still go to work with me dad when I was about four. Yeah, still do that. Uh, it's lovely. Lovely life. I wouldn't have wanted to do any other job. It's been absolutely amazing. Thank you for listening to The Weekend Millionaires. The project was developed and run by Digital Works. The interviews were collected by Year 6 children from St George the Martyr and Westminster Cathedral Primary Schools. Music by Vincent Burke. Thanks to all of our interviewees, the Museum of London Docklands, the National Maritime Museum and Waterman's Hall. The project was funded by the National Lottery Heritage Fund and Unite the Union. The podcast was produced by Digital Works. To find out more about our oral history podcast and to see the wonderful documentary film about the Leitman, please visit www.digital-works.co.uk.